This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 12. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funyhetten and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funyhetten. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Lynn. <laughs> Happy Thursday. Getting ready for a big snowstorm here in uh, eastern Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, how exciting. Can't wait. <laughs> No, absolutely. So in this episode, we're really excited for our listeners to have the opportunity to hear from Mark Barnes. Mark is a long-term educator over 20 years and best-selling author providing right now solutions to some of our biggest problems with his new hack learning series. An international speaker and publisher at Times 10 Books, Mark has written and published seven education titles with two more on the way. Looking forward to seeing those. His role reversal from ASCD was named 2013 Best Professional Book, and Assessment 3.0 from Corwin has made him a world leader in the no-grades classroom movement. Mark has written for TES Global, eSchool News, Smart Brief on Education, EdTech Hub, Advanced Source, and ASCD Express. Welcome to the show, Mark. We're glad to have you. Hey, Randy and Lynn. Uh, I really appreciate the being here and... Um, uh, I'm in the Cleveland area, so hopefully going to miss the blizzard and uh, <laughs> hope you guys can, can stay unburied. And uh, anyway, I'm excited to talk about assessment and uh, change in education. All right. And we are yeah. as well. So several episodes ago, we had the opportunity to interview another author, author Warren Berger, who's written the book called The More Beautiful Question. And in that book, he describes a beautiful question as one that is ambitious and actionable. So to start our conversation here, what is the beautiful question behind your book, Assessment 3.0? <laughs> well, Randy, that's a beautiful question right there. Um I'd say the question behind assessment 3.0 is uh, why do we have students or I'm, I'm sorry, why do we leave students out of the most important conversation in education and how can we give them back their voice? Because I think that's that's really the, the crux of assessment 3.0 is this this shift away from traditional grades to a conversation about learning. So that's really an important question. What led me to, to write that book was you know, why are we leaving students out? And I think that fits in so well with what we've been talking about in a lot of the interviews that we've been having on here, this idea of moving towards personalized learning. And today we've got this aspect that we're going to talk to you about, this this particular aspect of learning 
an assessment and how do we personalize that? Um, so that is a beautiful question behind, behind the book. So we're looking forward to getting into some more questions here. So help us from your perspective to understand, you know, what are the challenges with the traditional, the tra- traditional assessment or what you call assessment 2.0? What's bad about the numbers, letters, and percentages? Well, Lynn, uh, numbers, letters, percentages label students, and they, they really lie about what students do or do not know. Uh, the biggest misconception in education is that learning can be measured. And, and it really can't. It's impossible to measure what someone has learned. We can measure a lot of things, but learning is not one of them because it, it's, it's far too intangible. And we need the best way to uh, reveal what students know and what they don't know is through a conversation. If I put an arbitrary number, percentage, or letter on something that a student does, it says very little. You know, I don't know... I think new might be a little bit misleading. I, I think that I think teachers have been providing feedback to students about learning for a, a very long time. Uh, I think that the way that we do it is what really needs to be uh, looked at and changed. Uh, the problem with feedback in what I call assessment 2.0, the old model, is that we rely too heavily on the number or the letter as the feedback, and then we might tack on comments. A lot of people confuse simple comments with legitimate feedback. So if I put a, a number on a student's work, uh, first of all, that, that number is arbitrary from the beginning. If I decide that the, the, the activity is worth 50 points or 100 points, where does that number really come from? So we already start out with something arbitrary, and then uh, everything I do from there is subjective. So if I say, you know, okay, well, for whatever reason, I, I decided that your your 100-point assignment was worth 80 points to you and then attach whatever grade the school district decides that is, also arbitrary, um, it, you know, that's just not effective. And then what we do is we tend to and, – and I don't mean this as a to, – to vilify teachers because I think they all have the best intentions. But what we tend to do because it's the way that we've been taught as educators – is then to just sort of tack on a comment to say, you know, this is wrong or this is right or the old good job. And none <laughs> of those really help. Yeah, I think we're we're notoriously not very good about giving people feedback, uh, in, especially when it comes to, you know, students and, and whether it's a an essay or some other project, things like that, because it takes time to, to give that feedback. And so it just seems like it's so much easier to give that number, that letter, that percentage that we fall into that. Um, this idea of uh, sort of going gradeless, I can speak to some experience um, teaching at the college level the past couple of years have decided that um, basically I'm going to focus on the feedback and I'm not going to... Um, give every assignment a number, a letter, or a percentage. And it's amazing the feedback that the students give at the end of the semester, too, and, and during the semester as well. It's it's almost freeing because they're given permission now. Uh, they don't have that thing hanging over top of them where they're trying to perform to a certain standard or a certain level. They can really focus on the learning and, and their own thinking and, and move themselves along that way. And then 
I, as well as themselves and other students in the class, have the opportunity to give them feedback. And it, it's just they're finding it so much more freeing. Uh, so in, in your book, you, you, you talk about the sort of negative uh, parts of giving students numbers, letters, and percentages, uh, and you propose a solution, this thing you call the SE2R. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, um, what that uh, sort of, how that's a response to this idea of giving more feedback and, and less in the numbers, letters, and percentages idea? Uh, yeah, Randy, that's another beautiful question. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> y- you know, when when I um, when I made the shift away from traditional grades, which you know a lot of thought and and consideration went into that, um, you know because it's so different mm-hmm. when you, you say I'm going to take these labels and I'm going to eliminate them completely. Uh, that's a really difficult transition. So when I committed to doing that, uh, you know I, I I fumbled it a little bit in the beginning, and and I realized in taking. Uh, taking students' work and looking at it and reviewing it and trying to assess it that uh, I was struggling to communicate my observations to them. And I found myself one night sort of buried in papers that my students had written and, uh, and, and I just asked myself a question. I said, what is it that they need to know? And, and how can I easily teach them a system that helps them understand my feedback? And my answer to that was uh, that I, I wanted to summarize what they had done, sort of a brief statement. Here's what I see that you did. Because I think we leave that out a lot in education. We we take for granted that kids know. What I was finding is when I said, so tell me what you did here, you know, the answers were really simple. They didn't truly elaborate on what they had done. They'd say, well, I wrote something or I wrote an essay. And there was more to it. So I thought if, if there can be some sort of summary statement, it will help sort of ground the rest of the feedback. And from there, I wanted to explain based on whatever guidelines we had on the activity, exactly what I had observed. So typically, and, and really this kind of feedback has to start with how you structure assignments. And that's a really important point for teachers to understand is uh, the feedback will not be effective if the guidelines aren't effective. So we need to be really sure that we give students clear, actionable items on any activity so that when we're explaining, we can say, why well, I observed this and this and this, and I'm not sure I saw something else. And from there, I, I thought it was important to redirect. And, that, and that's really the most important piece to creating mastery is to send kids back to prior learning to say, well, if I didn't see this or I'm confused about this, uh, do you know it? And if, and if you don't, can you go back and look at something else? Can you go and talk to another student? Can you, uh, look at a model? And then finally, I wanted to ask for them to resubmit the work for a second look from me. So that was really, um, you know, that, that is where the abbreviation came from because it's summarize, explain, redirect, and resubmit. And that was just an easy thing to teach. Really, I'm, I'm happy that a lot of educators around the world have embraced that model. But um, again, I, I think people have been doing similar things all along. But for me, I wanted something that I could actually teach to the kids and say, this is how we're going to create this conversation about learning. 
Yeah, I love the uh, the simplicity of it, and especially that last element of, of resubmitting, that idea that you have another attempt, and that failure uh, is, or, you know, I know that's a strong word, but the, the fact that if you didn't get it right, or you didn't meet the mark or the standard, that you have the opportunity to resubmit that again. And I think that that's a real mind shift, especially in our K-12 world, that, you know, time keeps ticking and we got to get all these standards and things in. And if you didn't get it, you didn't get it. We're moving on. Um, and it's not really focused on this idea of competency and can I actually do that? And are we getting our students there? So I like that. I really like that last element. Giving the opportunity for kids to be motivated to do it again, Mm -hmm. knowing that very little of our first, first draft of anything is a final product. True. In the real world, it is that way. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's just not the case. So, Thinking about, um, you you said many teachers have started to think about this. What do you see as some of the barriers to assessment 3.0? And as leaders, Randy and I, our district leaders, and also our building leaders, what can we do to remove these barriers for our for our teachers and our learners? Well, and first of all, I'd say I'm I'm happy to be talking to district leaders about this topic because I think that's one of the areas that we need to get better in education. Uh, it, or we need to improve upon in education is the idea of getting leaders uh, to a place where they understand this issue and are willing to uh, to to tackle it. So I'm I'm really happy to have this conversation with school leaders. Uh, I think that the the biggest barrier to assessment 3.0 and to all good change in education is fear. Too many mm-hmm. educators and and really stakeholders in general. Uh, we still have the old, uh, that's the way we've always done it mentality. And, and this is something that has really shackled change in education for a very long time. We're, we're stuck in the old way. Education as a profession changes less than almost anything. And if you look at, you consider any professions out there, if you look at, at medicine, law, uh, anything. There's constant change. Yet in education, we continue to, to teach the same way in most places. And, and it's um, deliver information, hope that kids absorb it, and then test them on it. And don't, don't ask them what they learned. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what we tend not to do. So I, I think the, the barrier is this is the way we've always done it, and I'm afraid to change. And that's understandable. Because, you know, fear is a real thing in, in any profession. But I think the key is that we have to get past that fear. And, and the best way to remove that barrier is to show people the power of this particular change. To make them see how beautiful assessment is when we involve kids in the process. Yeah, so it's it's interesting in helping people to see the possibilities. And and we do have we're really fortunate to be in the district we are. We do have teachers who are taking risks and trying some innovative innovative practices and and engaging students in different ways. And maybe we'll have some teachers who listen to this and say, "Okay, I want to try this. I want to I want to try a gradeless classroom for or limited grade classroom um, for, you know, a marking period or a semester." And and one of the challenges will be, you know, at some point they'll, because systemically we have this report card and GPA and, you know, college applications that they'll have to enter that final grade at some point at, until everybody transitions and we have a true system change. 
I think you're so right too with this idea of leadership being able to get it. Uh, and it's, you know, not just this area of assessment, but all these areas that we're trying to reform and change in education too. And, and we as leaders need to give the okay and help lessen that sense of fear by giving that okay uh, to experiment and to try some of these things too. So, you know, from from our perspective as leaders, that's really what we're trying to do. And, and with this whole series that we're doing, uh, talking to innovative thought leaders about these ideas, um, trying to to push out this content to our particular audiences, which happens to be happens to be leaders. So uh, Lynn had mentioned, you know, we we K twelve, you know, all across the country operates in the system of of final grades. Uh, you know, every course has a final grade, and it's oftentimes you know final grades over a multiple times throughout the year, whether they be quarters or trimesters or something like that. Uh, so what are some ways of addressing uh, implementing a no grades classroom and then getting to that final grade? How do we give that final grade if we're not giving grades during the, the marking period? That's the kind of question that we get a lot. So how would you answer that? Well, it's an important question, Randy, and, and one that um, I face a lot in uh, when I'm out talking to educators, um, I'm part of a, a very large global Facebook group where we talk about assessment all the time mm -hmm. called Teachers mm -hmm. Throwing Out Grades. And, um, you know, that's an incredible group. There's over 5,000 people from all over the world in there. So the conversations uh, about this subject there are very rich. But this is one that people continue to struggle with. Uh, and it's a, it's a very um, logical struggle. Because what I find is that teachers, when, when they see what a no-grades classroom looks like, uh, they're fascinated, they're curious, and m almost universally, they want to try it. You know, you said, hey, may maybe some people will hear this and they'll say, well, I'm going to try this for a unit or a semester or something like that. And that's great. I encourage people to, you know, if you have to tiptoe your way in to the pool, then go ahead. Um, but what they typically come back with is, okay, I've, I've pushed grades aside during the marking period and I'm engaging kids in, in conversation now and that's great. But the end of the marking period comes and I still have to put a grade on a report card. And that's tricky. The, the answer that I give and the one that I used, and, and it's not, I'm not saying it's a silver bullet, but it worked for me was first of all, it's really important to talk to the kids about the process because you don't want to confuse them. And it was important for me to make sure that as we were moving throughout a marking period and I was not putting any sort of label on their work, numbers, percentages, or letters, it was important that they understood that when we got to the end of that marking period, because of the system that we're in, there would still be a grade on a report card and we didn't needed to understand how we were going to handle that and what we did is uh, we agreed to have a conversation which made sense because it's what we had been doing all along mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what I did at the end of marking periods and it's what I suggest and I know many teachers have done with great success is to sit down with kids at the end of your marking period and review what's happened over that time and, and go back over what they've done and talk about the feedback and, and that process of iteration. Have, have they returned to prior learning and then re, um, given back uh, activities and, and shown some sort of mastery 
Um, and then what I would do is I ended that conversation by saying, you, you know what this traditional grades world looks like and you know what uh, an, an ABC is supposed to be. So if we have to put that letter on a report card, what do you think it should be? And that really, as much as I don't like it, it's, it's sort of a double-edged sword because I don't want to talk about a label because I tell kids all throughout the year that it's a bad way to assess learning and that there's so much more than a number or a letter. But what also happens is that conversation becomes very rich with reflection and, and self-evaluation um, and, and goal setting because a, a, a child will say, well, you know, I didn't really do this and you wanted me to go back and do that and I didn't and I feel like I'm, I didn't master this part of the, the quarter or the marking period. So, you know, if I have to put a grade on it, I guess it has to be a C. And then we'd say, okay, well, if that's the case, what do we do moving forward? So that also becomes a really valuable goal-setting time. So that's the way – and I, I still call it a workaround because I think we're working around a broken system. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. And But, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want teachers to abandon the idea of shifting the conversation and moving away from traditional grades because they say, well, I still have to put a grade on a report card. And, it, and if that requires some sort of a workaround to create this amazing environment, then uh, so be it. So giving teachers some freedom, I guess, <laughs> and maybe freedom from from themselves and what they've been doing in the past to try something, take a risk, and and then develop this workaround for the final grade, as um, mm -hmm. Brandy asked. So thinking about that, because that would you know, time is, a, time is a challenge and time is a concern that we hear from teachers often. And, you know, those conversations would take time. Do you have those, do you block out a couple of conference days with students? Um, you know, this, you have the time of that conversation and you also have the time of providing the robust feedback because you're talking about really a, a four-step process. You know, what are some challenges or what are some strategies I should stay, say that, can help teachers address the challenge of time, both in the robust feedback and also in that conference conversation time. Well, I, you know, I think we, we have to use the, the technology that we have. Uh, you know, we're in an incredible time right now in education and really in, in any profession with the tools that we have that can improve just about anything we do. So one of the things that uh, I used a lot when I was still in the classroom or I was shifting to, and they've become so much better just in the last few years, are um, websites, applications, uh, mobile tools, so many things that help facilitate conversation and also help kids to archive uh, any work that they're doing. So one thing that was really helpful is that you, you can really now get away from the paper world. You can, you can almost never collect anything, <laughs> even if it's a project, even if it's a science activity where you're building something or anything it is. You can now archive that by taking a video, taking a picture, housing it somewhere, and then returning to it anytime. And the technology now helps you facilitate that conversation because 
you can you can write on something in a in a Google Doc or on a blog post or anything that that student can see and then they can reply back. There's now voice technology. So, you know, you can just you can speak your feedback right into some space where a student has left work and then they can reply. So I think I, I encourage people constantly to take advantage of those tools and continue to be on the lookout for them because uh, they're coming along all the time and they're improving. Yeah, certainly uh, in in an environment that's rich in technology, there there are lots of ways that we can use it to more efficiently do a lot of these these processes and and harness the the technology to not only save the time but also to provide more robust feedback and, and things like that. So whenever we try to change things in schools, there's always pushback from various constituencies. We talked a little bit about you know some of the challenges that face teachers, their challenges that face leaders in terms of advocating for some of these things. So how about parents? Um, if we do away with the traditional grade feedback, um, and that's something that parents grew up with. That's something that is almost kind of an expectation depending on the climate and the culture of the school. So what sort of strategies do you have for communicating the shift to this results-only learning environment to our parents? Yeah, that's a great question, Randy. That's a, um, we, we have to face, and, and I, I phrase it that way because I think oftentimes it's easy not to face things that involve parents, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in – you know, especially years ago when the channel of communication was really the, only the telephone. Um, so now, because we have so many different ways to make learning transparent, uh, I, I encourage educators to be proactive about it. So for me, what was really helpful was to um, talk to parents from the beginning uh, about change, to say, you know, uh, we, I started out with an email or even a, a letter that I would uh, ask administrators to help me uh, distribute to parents. And then sec- after that, uh, open house. And you don't get everybody, but, the, you know, it's, it's a way, another channel to really spread the word. And parents talk to each other. So that's the nice thing when people would come into an open house, even if I didn't have 100% participation – uh, they're helping spread the word to each other. But that was important. I would say, hey, we're going to do things differently uh, in this class from what you've probably seen. And, you know, if I was teaching seventh or eighth grade, that's a pretty big shift when you're talking to people whose children have been doing it the same way, you know, in, in the K-6 world. Uh, and and certainly in some districts, there's ironically there tends to be more conversation in 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 the k2 or 3 world and then it starts to shift into the labels so mm-hmm. you know but they get used to that they get used to through maybe grades 3 4 5 6 this idea of the number and the letter so it it was really important for me to have the conversation and to explain the logic behind it because a lot of people just don't understand it. Again, that's the way we've always done it. Why change it now? So I think that was really helpful was to to tackle the problem head on and to say, we're going to do things differently and here's the reason. And then since I had such an amazing digital world at my fingertips, I would share that with parents and say, if you're concerned, 
about how your child is doing because that was the question. You know, well, how do I know what what she's learned if there's not a grade? And then I would show them this incredible digital world mm. that we were creating and say, well, all of what your child is doing is here. And you can pull it up on your computer screen or your tablet and you can see it rather than waiting for me to just give you a label and to say we had this activity and your son got a C. Well, that says nothing. Instead, we had this activity and here's what your child did. And what I found is that parents were overwhelmed by it and and loved it. Yeah. And and you're talking about this and I'm making a connection to we have a community portal where parents can go in and check grades and kids can go in and check grades. And we have all these tools that have made grades important. And, you know, it's I'm connecting to the idea of unlearning and relearning (laughs) as I'm listening to you talk about sharing this new information or different information or perspective. And Lynn, that's a that, too, is a double edged sword that we need Mm -hmm. to look at. Um, because what you said really resonates with me. We're, we're creating an amazing digital world that makes it easy for us to reveal learning. But oftentimes what we are doing is we're exacerbating an existing problem by using those tools to continue to show parents labels. Mm-hmm. I, get an, mm-hmm. I get an email mm-hmm. every single day. I get an email from my children's school. And that email is a grade report. And when I open that email, it has a list of their classes and their current grade in a letter. So, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. a tool that could be uh, so amazing in terms of transparency of learning becomes something different. All it is is a digital report card. So what we've mm-hmm. done is we've taken the, the paper report card and we're now just putting it in an email. And you know what? That's not an email that I look forward to opening. Now, if, if this were a different kind of tool, and there's so many of them out there. Uh, you know, I do some work for a company called FreshGrade. And, and there's a lot of these. It's, it's e-portfolios and feedback for learning. And this tool is incredible for um, providing this conversation about learning with parents as well as children. And a parent whose child is using FreshGrade can open that uh, system up and look at everything the child's done and see feedback either written, uh, recorded in audio or in video from a teacher. Now, that's the kind of thing I want to open as a parent. That sounds like an interesting tool. We'll have to look into that. That's not something I've heard of. Fresh grade. So we're about to wrap it up here. And our last question for you, Mark, is what beautiful questions are you currently thinking about? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you asked. What a nice way to bring this conversation full circle. Um, I am currently considering questions like uh, how can we engage students in learning in a standardized world? Uh, how can we improve school leadership? What are the alternatives to traditional homework? Um, how how can we make every single student in the world a lifelong reader? Uh, these are the kinds of questions that I think should be at the forefront of education. As, as long as we are in a standardized world, 
which unfortunately we still are, uh, we, we need to understand how to make learning engaging for kids while we're still teaching to standards. And, and I know many mm-hmm. teachers uh, struggle with that. Mm-hmm. These are the, um, by the way, these, these questions that I'm looking at are being answered by some fantastic authors who are writing books um, for my hack learning series. Mm-hmm. So we've got books coming up on how, how to engage students in a standardized world and uh, how to hack literacy, how to make kids readers, um, school leadership, all of these things. So that's on the horizon, and I'm very excited to see the answers that these great educators reveal. Well, I have to tell you that those uh, beautiful questions that you put forth there are definitely things that <laughs> we're asking as well, too, this whole idea of uh, providing the best opportunities, learning opportunities for our kids in this standardized world. How do we sort of play that policy game that policy throws on us uh, while still saying we need a lot more for our kids and we're going to do a lot more and what does that look like and most importantly, how do we get there? And uh, certainly mm-hmm. as leaders, too, like how do we... How do we navigate that, and, and what do we need to do differently? Um, what new skill sets and mindsets do we need to have, and we need to help our own leaders develop? So um, lots of connections there, lots of connections throughout this whole conversation. Uh, so we really thank you very much for joining us today, Mark. Yeah, Randy and Lynn, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Uh, let's do it again sometime. All right, awesome conversation. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, Mark. And, and for our listeners, we are uh, podcasting with Star Saxstein, who is um, an author in the Hack Learning series that Mark just discussed. And her title is Hack Assessments, 10 Ways to Go Gradeless in a Traditional Grade School. And uh, we're looking forward to that and making some connections with what you've shared also. You can join more than 100,000 people who follow Mark on Twitter at MarkBarnes19 and on the Facebook groups that he mentions. Uh, teachers throwing out grades and hack learning. And for simple solutions to some of those biggest educational challenges that we're all facing, you can check out those hack learning books at hacklearningbooks.com. We're certainly looking forward to reading more of Mark's work and that hack learning series. Each episode, we leave you with a couple of questions to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's questions, how do you envision SE2R and in your own classroom or your school? And which step of the SE2R process do you feel will be most challenging for you or for your students? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season two, episode 12. We'd love for you to rate the show in iTunes, let us know your star rating, and consider leaving a one or two sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Mark. Hey, thanks, Randy and Lynn. You guys stay warm. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye, Mark. Bye, Lynn. Bye.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.